0: big shout out to peter trulin for putting that snazzy bumper music together puts a smile on my face every week um this is the Rec poker podcast folks that's right we made it you we made it it's another tuesday morning you're hearing this on May 16th, if you're a regular listener and you hit that subscribe button, which I hope you do, um, this is the Rec Poker Podcast. It's a forums edition. Every Monday, we get to get together and talk uh, about poker with my amazing poker friends here on the Wrecking Crew. My name's Jim Reed. I'm Bluff Serini in the home game and at Wreck Poker Jim on Twitter. And I've got the best job in the world because I get to hang out here. They give me the mic. They let me host the show. Oh, it's just It's a great time to be alive in the Reed family. I'll tell you that. Um, and I got to thank our sponsors, the Running Aces Hotel Racetrack and Casino, because uh, we depend so much on their support, like we support, uh, depend on the support of our premium members. Most of what we do here at Poker is free. We're a largely volunteer-based organization. But we get a huge amount of support from our premium members who ch- chip in their 15 bucks a month uh, to help make the magic happen, to help support the cause, trying to make the poker world uh, a happier, more encouraging, more vibrant and fun place and um, it's more fun when you win so that's why we all try and get our heads together every week and see if we can't solve some poker problems and help recreational players like us uh, reach new heights in the poker world so like i say you get kind of used to hearing my voice because i host the show on mondays but i am just one of the movers and shakers here on the wrecking crew it takes a crew to make the magic happen here at wreck poker and if you want to find out more about me and other members of the wrecking crew you can just go to rec.poker slash crew. But if you're not, if you're not near a computer, you can just listen up. You can listen up right now because you're going to hear a few of them on the air in just a moment, alphabetical by first name.
1: Hi, I'm Kim Kilroy. I'm Vet 33 on most platforms and Fergie56 in the home game.
2: I'm Rob Washam, and I'm RadMan50 just about everywhere. I'm Taylor Moss. You can find me on
3: Twitter at Taylor underscore Moss. Or in the rec poker home game, this gopher boy TJM.
0: Rob's not used to going second. We're not used to hitting our second. That was like, whoa, crazy, crazy experience there. Um, I also mentioned uh, we support, we depend on the support from our premium members so much. Uh, one of the perks of being a premium member is you get to come join the show. Uh, and so we, we're welcoming back Eric Anderson. Thank you for coming back uh, to the uh, rec poker podcast, Eric. You've been a premium member for a long time and a very, active participant in our forums and on Discord. Why don't you introduce yourself to Rec Poker Nation and tell them where they can get a hold of you?
4: I'm Eric Anderson. I really enjoy the site. You need to join it's uh, I'm E Anderson85 at rec poker. <laughs>
0: Thanks for that support, Eric. And I agree if you're listening to this, um there's so many ways you can get involved for free. Come sign up for a free community account. Um get involved with the YouTube channel, join the Discord channel. Uh, play in our home games, come post in the forums. All this stuff is free. It's just a way to add some fun and some value to your own poker journey. And uh, dropping that $15 to become a premium member just unlocks a whole world of training material. And another uh, you know, great relationship with other training sites out there. We We send a lot of our members to go experience other much more expensive training sites than ours uh, for free. It's just one of the perks of being a member here at Red Poker. So come check us out. Uh, One of our longstanding members here, Ace Reg Off, uh, who's also uh, a lot of fun on Twitter. Um, I won't dox them because I'm not sure if their name is public here, but they've been a member for a long time. And I always enjoy seeing their posts here. Um, Has sent in uh, one for our analysis. This post is called Close, But Not Close to the Money. Uh, and this is hand is from the Saturday Night 150 at Canterbury. So I'll just review uh, the information we have from our correspondent here. And then I see a number of people have already responded to this forum post. And so we'll go through some of the responses and see if we can tease out some answers for, uh, for our correspondent here, Ace Ray Gough. So blinds are 2,000, 4,000 with a 4,000 ante. There are 19 players left and 12 get paid. So we're getting pretty close to the money. I would not, uh, we're not exactly on the bubble yet, but we're getting pretty close to the money. Uh, about a third of the existing field still has to be eliminated before uh, we make the money. Our hero is sitting with a healthy ish stack of about 27 big blinds, 28 big blinds with at least four stacks under 10 bigs. I think we're healthy enough to cash and we're not trying to get out of the line. We're playing seven handed. And (laughs) there's this ambiguity. We talked about this last week, but there's this ambiguity about how to describe positions. And so our our fearless correspondent says we're playing seven handed and under the gun plus one or the low jack, whichever you prefer to call it. And I'm just going to say, if you're confused about positions, you're not alone. Head over to the Rec Poker blog. We talked about this last week. Eric Jin just published a new article going over the different positions and a very clear and simple way to describe each of those positions at the poker table without any of this ambiguity about am I the low jack or under the gun plus one or what's under the gun plus two and that kind of stuff. So you are, uh, Ace rag off. you are in the low jack in the Eric Jinn-approved terminology chart. And uh, we open to 9K, which is about 2.25 big blinds, with king, queen, off, get a call from the cutoff who covers us. So unfortunately, we're going to be out of position and we are the effective stack. The blinds fold, the villain's been active, but when shown, hasn't shown any bluffs. When, I guess my first question to the group, we're sitting on 27 or 28 big blinds, uh, 2.25 big blind open. Is that is that a... Do you guys size down from that at all? Do you have a threshold for when you... Because sub-30, I'm starting to go even a little smaller than 2.25, maybe 2.1, or maybe even just a a min open. Um, does anyone here want to get a little nitpicky with our correspondent right off the bat? Kim?
1: I agree with you, Jim. I think once we get to even 35, we should be going min opens. Just, mm-hmm. I think, you know, there's... Especially from sub thirty
0: stack. Yeah, I, I see a lot of people It's nitpicky talking,
1: though.
0: Yeah, and hey, we're here to get nitpicky every once in a while. Um, I don't think, you know, um this wasn't the question that the uh correspondent was asking about, but I always think we should just examine all our assumptions when we're talking about a hand. Um Taylor, you mentioned last week, I believe, that you know, when ICM starts to become a factor, we start sizing down a little bit. And this Mm. feels like we're maybe entering to that realm where we're just going to kind of shade down a little bit. Do you think that applies here?
3: Yeah, I think you you definitely have to be thinking about ICM here uh, in terms of, you know, we're seven away from the money. um, We're in the low jack. Should we be opening King Queen off? Uh, Mm. You should kind of evaluate that and just like, should this even be an open? I'm going to argue it's most definitely an open uh, because he lets us know that there's four stacks that have you know, 10 bigs or less, uh, they're going to be playing very tight. Um, So in a sense, we're actually going to be playing from a better position because of how short those other stacks are at the table, uh, which is a little bit advantageous for us. Um, In terms of the sizing, uh, this is at my, you know, my home place at Canterbury. So um, one, I know that they probably have taken all the other chips out there and you probably only have the 1Ks available to you. So this is just like a, a small click up from a min. Uh, so I think it's kind of all right from that aspect, and I know a lot of other people at the table are probably going to be opening to ten, twelve, potentially fifteen. Uh, some of the people that play there. Uh, so the nine is going to look like an, a small sizing. If it was me, I'd still be going eight. Uh, but I'm not going to get too crazy about the eight K versus nine K, um, especially at this point in the tournament. Yep, well said.
0: All right, so we do, uh, and I think that's and that is a good psychological point. When it's eight K and adding one of the lowest denomination chips, that does kind of seem to be like a strategy. People don't want to just make it a min, so they just add one of the lowest denominational chips. In this case, it's a quarter of a big blind, which is non-trivial. But but I I do see that I do see the attractiveness of that because it psychologically I think it does add some fold equity, um, whether uh, how we could measure that or not, I'm not really sure. But I, I get it. I get it. So the flop comes king, nine, eight. Uh, we don't know what the suits are. Um, our correspondent, Ace Ragoff, says being first to act and not trying to play a big pot, we check and the villain checks behind. Uh, his question is, should I be betting large here to try and end it or do we like the check? Uh, Why don't we start with that uh, from the panel here? Uh, Rob, you unmuted real quick. Do you have a take on that?
2: just that playing out of position, C betting from out of position um, when you're called. Again, we talk about ranges that everybody has. This is the kind of hand that I like to check because we're not supposed to be betting that frequently or that large when you're out of position the ranges are so close here i mean we know that the cutoff probably doesn't have aces kings you know the the real big cards that he would have probably 3 bet but he still has a very um, strong range compared to getting called by somebody in the big blind so i think by having that king you're able to defend against anything that he's liable to do and since you're supposed to bet less frequently and smaller i i prefer a check here
3: follow yeah. up for you rob um if you don't mind it, given we're in an icm spot getting relatively close to the money playing against another uh, relatively big stack are you going is your intention to check call or to check raise uh on this flop
2: i think we want to keep it small so i think it's a check call i don't want to get I don't want to get crazy. I mean, if he's bet, he could be betting with, you know, a king nine, which we're behind right now. Um, and so uh, a check right here, I think, it, or yeah, a check call. I don't think I'm check raising here with just king queen on this flop.
3: I I mean, I, I'm trying to think through the options in my head. And uh, the main reason I would check here is to check raise. Uh, but I think for all the points that you laid out, I'm not entirely all that happy with going for a check raise here because I doubt like we're going to play a hand versus an opponent's hand that we like are beating when we go for a check raise here. We're just going to end up folding out a lot of their uh, other junk and then just end up getting called by two pair sets uh, and stuff like that. So I- I'm not a huge fan of check raising. So that makes me almost want to just like just continue the betting myself here. Like if it was me, I'd probably bet a little bit on the smaller side because, you know, the stage of the tournament that we're at, I don't think we need to go too big. But, I mean, I'd throw out 10K uh, as a bet here. Uh, I have a feeling we're going to get a decent amount of calls from our opponent because this is a pretty connected board. Um, The King 9-8, there's a lot that the cutoff calls with that's going to find some calls uh, on the flop. And, I don't know, I just I just feel like, I like my spot. I'm going to start building a pot when I feel like I've got good equity. So I I'd bet here.
0: There were two things that jumped out at me. Um, So our correspondent gives us the choice and says, should I be betting large here to try and end it? Or do we like the check? They're not, they're not even considering a smaller bet. And I just think that's one of the things that we should always consider is the different bet sizes available to us. Um, As you get closer to the bubble and ICM becomes more of a factor, I think we we should give ourselves permission to play our hand and less than less of our range. um, Just like you do as you get closer to the end of the hand as well. And our hand just can get called by a lot of second best hands. As Taylor mentions there, I think there's a lot of pair plus draw a lot of worse Kings, you know, some draw only hands here like 10 Jack and queen Jack and stuff like that, that might even improve to a second best hand uh, if they pair. So I think It stinks playing out of position. It stinks being covered by our opponent as we're getting this close. Um, but I think in real time, when I flop top pair, second kicker in a spot like this, uh, especially on a, on a rainbow flop, even though there is the connectivity of the eight, nine, I I think in real time, as I, I probably make the C bet and I pick a sizing. To try and get called by a hand like 10-9 or something like that, um, you know, a pair, a pair plus draw. But um, I don't, I don't mind, the, I don't mind the check call either. But it is setting the table for some very difficult decisions on future streets when you give up the betting lead and you kind of cap your own range there as well. Eric, did you have something?
4: I just wanted to mention uh, that we are short stacked, so the SPR is only like one and a half or something. Um, so, we really don't have, we can do anything we want here. We don't have mm. to bet. Shoving um, would be a little uh, ambitious, I think. Um, mm. But if you want to bet 10% of the pot, you can get it in. If you want to get it in with three easy, even bets, you just have to bet like 25, 35% of the pot. Um, we do have the initiative um, We're or early position opener. Um, we didn't get three bets. So, I don't know if we have the nuts or not because there's lots of sets in his range. I mean, I mean, we all have the nuts, so I don't know if we really have a nut advantage. But I think a small bet—I would bet like twenty percent. I'd bet small and uh, just make him not get a free card. Kim,
1: I this is one of the reasons I like this min open because when we have a small stack, it gives us more maneuverability. post We have more chips behind and a slightly bigger stacked pot ratio because on this type of a flop we should be betting a bit on the larger side if we're going to bet out of position. So if we bet on the larger sides like 50 to 65% pot, 50 to 60% pot, then we get called there. Now we're very wary of cards that can come. We think a lot of draws can call us like Sets are probably going to raise us right then and there. So we're just, we just become very wary. And now we have more information when a turn could be a good, bad, hard for us. So that's one of the reasons I like to keep it my, and when we're under 30, keep my raise to a min raise, keeps the pot smaller, gives me a little more maneuverability post fall. So I like
0: that. Yep. Um, and it's a good point by Eric as well about um, we're even though there's shorter stacks at the table, we're not so deep that we need to worry about getting our stack in if we choose to by the end of the hand. So um, we, we do have the ability to, to make small bets and get it in or, or to check and, and make it up on future streets without having to really get it aligned or, or over, oversize our bets. So uh, I, I, I like there's definitely an argument for both. Let me, let me ask you this panel. What are the factors? And I'm kind of pulling this out of left field here. But what are the factors that would incline you towards checking? And what are the factors that would incline you towards betting? Is it something about the opponent? Is it something like closer to the bubble or further from the bubble? Um, or is it just a sort of isolated spot? You-
1: I think if we're going to uh, make a decision on check or bet. And we're really on the fence. We can lean to our—is our opponent covering us? Mm-hmm. That gives us more mm-hmm. reason to check. If mm-hmm. we cover our opponent, it gives us more reason to bet.
0: Nice. I knew I was gonna. I knew I was gonna pull up a, a dinger if I th- cast the line out there. Good one, Kim. Thank you. Good. Good one.
4: Um, uh, another so, thing to consider is we're yeah we're we're mid stack against mid stack. So ICM pressure is really high against us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so we really need more equity than you think to to be playing aggressive here.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point.
3: Yeah, and I lean a lot on uh, board texture uh, personally. Like this King Nine Eight um, has a lot of connectedness to it, and like I think there's a lot of hands that have some equity that will call. Um, you know, queen jacks, jack tens, uh, king tens, you know, ten nines, all these other like type of stuff that are like going to call us street. And that inclines me to, you know, throw a bet out there now. If the board was instead disconnected and more like king eight three, then I'm more so kind of like, OK, maybe I'm going to go for a check raise here. Maybe I'm going to check and try and set up other streets. There's less that my opponent is probably going to be calling me with. Uh, in this exact spot, so maybe I should go for a check uh, and keep their range wide.
0: I think that's a that's a great point, and um, I think sometimes we forget as recreational players to kind of visualize our opponent's entire range. And when you think about the entire range and all the whole the whole the only action they've taken so far is calling our pre-flop bet. So when you take that entire range and you put it up against a king nine eight rainbow flop. You're doing really well against that range. Yes, they've got some pocket eights, pocket nines, eight nine. You know they don't have pocket kings, but sure they've got king nine. I don't think they have king eight. They probably do. They even have king nine. Honestly, probably not. Um, there's only so many combos of it available because uh, it would be suited. I think in that case, it would have to.
2: Be. Uh, they might have king nine suited. Could be there.
0: And so there's probably two combos of that left on a rainbow yeah. flop like this. Well, actually, we've got a king ourselves as well, so that's even less likely. Because um, we are playing with king queen off again, we don't know the suit, so that'll be one note to ace uh, ace rag off. The suits do matter when it comes to uh, hand history reporting because it gets uh, it gets a little um, uh, tricky when it comes to, like backdoors and eliminating combos and that kind of thing. Uh, so I'll just say we've got the king king queen off suit. We opened uh, from the low jack to two point two five. We got called by an imposition player on the cutoff. And now we're looking at king, nine, eight, rainbow. So you've got top pair, second kicker. And I think we're, in a vacuum, this is a pretty good flop for us. We made top pair. And again, if you think about all the hands our opponent could have, most of their hands kind of top out at one pair plus draw. There is a value range above that that we should be considering, but we shouldn't let that that small portion of their range drive our, our betting. I think we should be betting in a way that puts their entire range together. So, as played, we do check, and the villain checks behind. The turn is uh, the queen. There's no flush draws that I remember, says our correspondent. So we've now uh, flopped. We've turned top two, and with top two, our correspondent says, I figure I have a good enough hand to try and pull two streets of value and put in a small bet of 12k. I've got the pot at about 28k right now in my mind. Uh, This is Jim talking from reviewing the notes. So it's a little less than half pot. After thinking for a little bit, the opponent asks me for a count. And I stack my chips uh, for him to count. He comments that he doesn't believe the queen helped me and raises to 35k. Uh, Ace Ragoff says, I think about it for about 30 seconds, debating if he is making the move with two pairs, sets, straight, Pair plus gut shot. And this is my favorite part of the whole post. Ace off. if you're listening, this is my favorite part of the whole post. <laughs> he says, and I decide to rip it in and let Jim Reed sort it out. <laughs> that's, that's fantastic. Reference to an earlier episode where I was talking about my own style. Uh, nicely done, sir. Um, in hindsight, I think we should have called thinking that the jam allows our opponent to play almost perfectly. Um, but maybe we could still get some two pair calls so let's unpack this a little bit so let's just start with the comments so before our opponent makes any raise at all we can talk about the sizing and what it might contain um he says he comments he doesn't believe the queen helped me and raises from 12k to 35k i I don't know about you guys in the games that i play when someone says something like oh i don't think it i don't think it helps you i'm gonna raise your bet they're weakening their own range. They're verbally weakening their own range. And that's typically something that players do when they have a strong. Is that something that you folks have experienced as well? Like I know it's always going to be a mix, but this is one of those things. Um, this is one of those things that I find people don't do as often when they are actually bluffing. This, this is typically a strength. Player.
4: This goes back to Carol's book of tells strong means weak and weak strong, means strong. Yeah. yeah. And uh,
0: actually, and Ace Regoff does mention this. He says, "I thoroughly believe Zach Elwood snap folds to the raise after the talking about the hand, which wasn't common for the opponent." And I haven't seen him ask for a count yet. And we've been playing together uh, for probably close to an hour, so we we do have a bit of a baseline for this player, and they are kind of deviating from their baseline a little bit in these ways. Me at the table, I that that leans me towards value. So the question. In my mind, is are they overplaying some value hands that I might be beating with top two pair? If they've got king nine, queen nine, queen eight, nine eight, and chose not, you know, some of those hands they might choose to bet the flop, but when they don't, we're loving life against those combos if that's in their value range. If they're only ever doing it with sets and straights, then we're really, we're really just uh, hoping for uh, a miracle boat on the river. What, what, do you, what do you guys think, uh, panel? We don't know enough about the villain to sort of say what they might be weighing as value in a bluff. Rob, what do you think?
2: This is such a common mistake that we make as recreational players. We're, we're playing, you know, we got top pair with a very good kicker. All of a sudden we turn top two and we're doing a happy dance in our head. We think uh, all is right with the world. Nothing could be better than this. And the, I don't know how many times it's happened to me? I'm sure it's happened to everybody on this panel at one point or time. And you, you get, you say, okay, well, I'm just, you know, with very little thought, you just think, well, I, I'm way ahead here. I'm just going to jam it and and take his money, right? And one thing that. He doesn't doesn't mention when he talks about, well, he could have this, he could have that. He's not mentioning specific hands. And I think as Mm. recreational players, if we could stop, take our hand off the mouse, so to speak, think about it, and then try to, in our heads, think of all of the hands that he could be doing this with, all of the hands that he could be raising with. I think if we did that as recreational players, We might find uh, the ability to fold when something like this happens, even not even thinking about the verbal tells that we just got, but just that spot right there that we find ourselves in. And again, we're doing that happy dance. We're ready to get all our chips in. Oh, Let's go. (laughs) So, yeah, and I, you know. I, I've done it so many times, it's it's very frustrating. You need to take your hand off the mouse and just talk through every single hand that he could be doing this with.
0: Yeah, and I think we get kind of stuck in the sh- in the shortcuts of saying, oh, well, sets, two pairs, you know, straights. But, but really break it down, like Rob's saying. And l- l- kind of like I was mentioning earlier, visualize the entire range and think about all the different combos that go into those buckets of hands that we're talking about. Um, I think that I think that definitely can be a guy. Now, when I, th- I mean, I like the bet. I think we probably should be betting here. Um, we can get value from a lot of worse hands. We're not making a huge bet; it's less than half pot. Uh, we're still going to be able to get a lot of chips in on the river if we want to. Um, and you know, if you think about rivers to come, we don't want to see an eight or a nine. We don't want to see a probably a jack or a ten. But other than that, we're feeling, I guess, maybe a seven. But, I mean, we're feeling pretty good about the other half of the deck. And, um, unfortunately, that's that's about it. So we were given this option of either we bet, we get raised, we can fold, we can call, or we can shove. Does anybody want to advocate for or eliminate any of those options? Or, Taylor, sorry, you unmuted earlier. Was there something else you wanted to weigh in on?
3: Um. No, I was just going to talk about the range construction that Rob talked about. Cause I, I think it is kind of interesting, like in this spot, uh, specifically like what hands do our opponents have? And I mean, the one that like is, you know, screaming is Jack 10, uh, you know, the nuts here. Um, and I think that's what like makes these top spots, these spots really tough, uh, is you see how your opponent's playing, and you watch like you watch this, and you're like, "This is never a bluff." Um, but I, I think that like is also something that recreational players should pay attention to. Is like this line that our opponent took is very rarely a bluff. Maybe we should be like analyzing those spots and understanding should we be bluffing with uh, more hands in our opponent's spot in this specific situation, uh, and go for more raises. Um, went bet into in like these types of spots. Cause right now it feels like Jack 10 and almost Jack 10 only to me. Like, I don't think many opponents would check back two pairs sets uh, on this flop. Uh, they're probably going to be going for bets. And then when they go for raises on this river, it feels like they're only doing this with hands that are like strong two pairs sets or straights in this exact spot. And I think we can eliminate a lot of those, like our top two pair eliminates a lot of two pair combos for them especially the good ones. Um, and then sets become less obvious because of how this action played out. So it does feel very much like a Jack 10 or nothing type of spot. Um, and I know, like put me in this spot and I'm like, I'm I'm just going to like call down and like try and like see if it was exactly Jack 10, uh, especially given King Queen can still, Uh, outdraw the Jack 10 uh, in this spot. But like, I think it's like, as Rob's talking about, like think through the hands and like, I think that almost like is kind of tough in this spot. Cause like when I think through it, I think of Jack 10 and like kind of get like narrow sighted on, like it has to be Jack 10.
0: So is there, at this point we're we're coming off, you know, we started the hand with 27 or 28 pigs. Do we have enough room to check call? Or to, sorry, to bet call on the turn and then evaluate on the river. Like, I think we do have some outs to the nuts. And sometimes they're going to not fire. Because we're always going to be checking river um, when we when we bet call here.
3: Is there... Yeah, I think the only option here is to check call. Um, I don't think you ever check full... Or sorry, bet call yes, on bet the turn. Call. Yeah. I think the only option yep. is to bet call on the turn. Cause I think if you bet fold, wow, you're overfolding. If you bet jam, um, you're kind of just letting your opponent play perfectly against you. Um, but I think it's bet call, let them play river, you know, maybe they're getting crazy, uh, with some weird hands. Like maybe they think, you know, queen Jack all of a sudden is good or, you know, something strange like that our opponent might do. I uh, just hope for uh, a random bluff from them, but, um, it feels a lot like a straight, uh, especially in like <laughs> these stakes against these players with the speech play. Like, yeah, I don't know. Like it really does. But um, I, I don't know. I'm not good enough to ever find a fold here. And, and
0: we did weaken our range here by checking flop. So we have encouraged we have kind of incentivized our opponent to overvalue their hand. Maybe if they have a one or a two pair hand or even to put a bluff out there um, because when he goes check, check, we should be leading the turn with some bluffs as well. And so it makes sense for them to be raising uh, with some non-premiums there. So I think folding is over folding. And I think like, like Taylor said at best, I think jamming, even though we don't have that much back, that, that amount that we have back has value and I'd much rather get it in Check calling the river against an opponent that we think might have some bluffs in their range, then three betting it here on the turn and basically uh, guaranteeing that the only hands they continue with are 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 beating us and some of those sets in the street. And I do think they can have some sets here. Uh, You know, the turn of honesty, the street, the the turns kind of the street of honesty, rather, is what I mean to say. And I don't think it's that uncommon for players with pocket eights or nines to just check back the flop and decide that uh, they're going to they're going to put some chips in on the turn as well. And we're not doing great against against those either. So that's that's an argument there as well. Rob,
2: Uh, just a question. If we get to the river, there's ninety eight thousand in the middle. We have sixty seven thousand behind what bet are we calling? If we check the river, what bet are we calling? I already told you I'm
3: not a good enough player
2: to find a fold here. <laughs> <laughs> so chances are we're going to be faced with an all-in.
3: Mm-hmm. I'd rather very than... Easy. I'd very easy. I'd rather give easy them the opportunity them to, to bluff it, though. Like, it, it, compared to a jam, if we jam we fold out all their bluffs. Uh, if we check, uh, they can still use their bluffs as a jam on the river. Um, so I, that's the difference in my mind is I just want to keep those bluffs in the range and keep letting them have the rope. Uh, and if I only win the forget how much you said, but 80,000, uh, if I only win that much, so be it. I still want a big size pot when they check behind, but um yeah,
1: yeah, it was ninety-eight
3: thousand. Go ahead. Yeah, I
1: want to know what bluffs you think they have in their range on that mm, turn that, when you get. That's raised. why
3: I'm not that good of a player. <laughs> 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 that, that, it's just like my hand is so good, and it's just like, it, like, to me, king queen is the exact same as uh, pocket kings having a set, and like, I'm not folding that. I, <laughs>
2: Yeah, but right. could they have... Like, am I folding meet?
3: everything but uh Jack-10 in this spot? Right, right, right. You, you got to right, have some right. calls, uh, I guess. Um, But yeah, yeah it, it, like, it feels so narrow towards Jack-10. Are they...
1: It, it's either that or it's a chop or it's a, uh, or it's a set. Mm. So if we're mm-hmm. calling for a chop, like, why are we calling for a chop? I don't know. I can't even think of a hand that would be bluffing here. At this point in the tournament. There is no, there's no just hand, there's, Yeah.
2: There's no hands that are bluffing, but there could be some two pairs out there that we're ahead of. Yeah, I think that's that true. are overvaluing. Yeah, Queen Nine, Queen Eight. King yep. nine, would, King Eight. It,
3: th- right. That's what's so tough about this. Like you give me uh this spot in, you know, my home casino. I know these players. And you, are you telling me um that there's no player out there that wouldn't have ace queen in this exact spot and go for a raise on this turn. And I'd say there exist uh, at least some players that would do that because when it checked through on the flop, they said, okay, cool. They don't have a King. Uh, and then when they got to the turn, they're like, let me raise my ace queen, because now I have the, the best pair possible uh, in this situation.
1: Right. So um, Rob, where somebody said there's sixty-seven thousand into an eighty-something thousand pot on the river if we call the raise, when the ten of diamonds comes and pairs the board and brings in a flush, I think it's highly likely to go check check on the river oh, that we won't.
3: And go I'm happy river. about that. Yeah, I'm happy.
2: Yeah. about that. we didn't. We don't see what the river was. No,
0: no, but in, uh, that was my next question. My next question it's was... Like, um, there
3: there exist rivers that go check-check, though. Yes. Uh, yeah, uh, it says the
0: River Bricks, yes.
1: And, oh, the and, River and, Bricks.
0: Right. And, and, and there might be some rivers that we can check-fold on. Like, if the river comes an 8 or a 9, um, we should consider, like, we can... If we fold with sixty-seven big uh, 67,000 in our pocket, that's still, like, 15 big blinds or so here, which is more then these four stacks that have 10 bigs left so right it's not going to happen a, very often
1: we didn't have a flush draw come in on the turn did we
0: no we did as not. far
1: as he remembers
0: no he
4: didn't right? yeah. there's no, yeah. no no sense of that
1: okay so that's the less likely then that it's going to go check check on the river much less yeah. likely yeah
4: so I, I played around with flopzilla and uh you know guessing ranges is is guessing um but i figured out that we had with top two pair, we've got like seventy five percent equity on the turn. Um, versus so
0: I, versus the raising range, or just versus the versus the range that gets to
4: the turn when we bet. Okay, um, yes. When yes, we start, yes. yeah, yeah. Um, so we have to bet, and then I'm kind of in Taylor's camp. I got top two. I'm not going to fold. <laughs> <laughs> um, we still got six outs to a, f- or a, a or wait four outs to a. Yeah, four outs to, to a the full house to the nuts. Yeah so uh um you know see a river and
2: Uh, and, i think uh, a call and then on and then if the river gives us the bad news and we decide to fold we're still going to have 26 big blinds mm -hmm. so
0: and i want to i want to uh yeah something like that uh it would be no just 16 i think 16 16 big blinds.
2: 16 yeah yep um 16 i
0: want to I want to shout out um, Eric Anderson here. Uh, Eric posts in the forums all the time. And this is a great example. So folks, I'm going to put the link to this forum post in the show notes. Go; It's free. You don't even have to be signed in. You don't even have to have a free account at Rec Poker. Just go to your phone, click on the link in the show notes to go to this forum post. And you can see Eric's put a bunch of screenshots up of various uh, range analyses, uh, equity breakdowns, um, a table of geometric bet sizes from the work we did with uh, Gareth James last year. Um, there's just a lot of really good information here. We we kind of scratched the surface on the podcast, but this is a mostly audio format. And I think you'll find there's a lot of valuable information, not just in Eric's post, but particularly Eric is a very visual learner, and uh, uh, it's it's very helpful for people that like to kind of see it broken down um, graphically. So I encourage folks to go to go check that out. So I think it's we're uncontroversially uh we're we're sort of we we have a consensus that betting the turn is the right play here. When we're faced with the raise, I think I think we all agree that shoving, well do we do we all agree that shoving is overplaying given the opponent's range and kind of allows them to play perfectly. It's not like they're never going to it's not like you're never going to win the hand if you show, but but in the big picture we feel like calling is a better option. Does anyone want to lean for a, a fold at this point? Uh, personally, I'm with Taylor, it feels a little too overfold. Yeah,
2: no, it's a it's a it's a call definitely because to Taylor's point, there's people that could do that with ace queen. There's yeah. people that could do that with queen 9, queen 8. Um so them, those are the only hands that are, are potentially going to call you if you go all in. The sets that are out there, um, and the um, straights that are out there, are are those are the only ones that are going to call that you're ahead of. I should say, the other ones that are going that are any the only other ones that are going to call are going to you're going to be behind. So that again, you're making them play perfect by going all in. So mm-hmm. I agree with Taylor 100%. We call there. And, and I think I'm in Taylor's camp also that I don't think we're, any of us are good enough to fold on, (laughs) on a bet on the river, no matter how big it is.
1: Are those two pairs even in the range at this stage in a tournament from an early position razor and a cutoff call? Like I don't put queen eight and.
3: uh, I agree. And that's why I was mentioning before, like, it feels so much just like Jack 10. Because in my mind, uh most opponents will bet flop with eights or nines. Um they probably don't have the queen nine, queen eights. Uh they do have the king queens, like you mentioned, so we're there's some chops uh there. Um I don't know. I threw out the ace queen as like, you know, kind of like an off ball but still kind of makes sense. I could see it, but like, man, that's kind of a misplay from our opponent if they do have exactly ace queen. Um and like we blocked sets of kings and queens plus they probably don't have that given the preflop action like it, it, you like narrow it down and it does feel like jack 10 almost like exclusively but I think Kim's totally right I think we have to discount two pair combos and I would make the case that we've got to discount sets as well
0: and the good thing about our spot is that we can actually still improve to a winning hand over all of those hands that we're worried about right now there's four clean outs two queens and two kings um, that are going to give us what's I think are going to act effectively like the nuts here. And they might not even scare off our opponent. I mean, they, they will sometimes, but they won't all the time. Sometimes if they have some of those other hands that we're worried about, um, you know, they can fill up too. And, and we really get to take the driver's seat there. Um, So it sounds like, sounds like consensus says uh, maybe we could have bet flop. Uh, maybe, maybe checking uh, that's not quite as clear but we really all feel like betting and calling turn is the right play and checking river on basically every river and then just deciding whether we're going to call the bet that they make on the river. Um, And I I think I'd be a lot less comfortable with eights, nines, tens, and jacks, but basically every other card I'm going to be, well, even even the 7 only completes the 5-6 because the 10-jack already got there when the queen came on the turn. They're not calling 5-6. They even suited in this dynamic. So um, I feel I feel pretty confident about that. Uh, there's a comment here from Ima Luigi, who's another longtime member. He says, I prefer a flop bet and sized up to set up a turn jam, especially if we're 7 from the money. I want to put pressure on my opponents and charge all of their draws. And I want to... Note um, for I'm a Luigi here, he makes a good point that even though we're the one that's covered, we can still apply some pressure to other players by taking by, by leveraging a large portion of their stack, even if we can't knock them out. So that's relevant. Um, Luigi says, I, as played, I prefer a call on a raised turn to evaluate the river, but I'm side calling off most rivers. As I agree, this is not a spot to hero fold. But if a jack or a 10 falls, we can fold and preserve 17 big blinds. And I think that is the good point. Like being able to preserve 17 big blinds when there's four shorties. Um, that is, that is pretty valuable. But sometimes they're going to check behind and sometimes they're going to bet and you're going to be ahead with two pair. And sometimes the queen's going to, the river's going to come a queen or a king and you're going to feel, uh, you're going to feel pretty good about that. Uh, all right. Well, as, as played, we do as the hero shoves and uh, God sorts it out. Um, they snap off with Jack 10. They do have the straight, all our little alarm bells were going off correctly, and we do not improve on the river, and that is the end of it. Um, a couple more questions from Ace Ray He says, I'm wondering how many streets I played poorly. If I'm trying to cashier, Fold and Cree is too nitty, right? I think I think we all agree it's, it's an open. Uh, there's some question, like I said, whether to bet the flop or not. Uh, betting the turn seems mandatory, but I think shoving the turn is the big mistake here. And I think it's a pretty catastrophic mistake, given that you're covered, you're seven from the money, your opponent hasn't capped their range to exclude a lot of these really strong hands. So that, and I, you know, it sucks, you, you know as soon as they flip it over, like, oh yeah, that was the catastrophic thing that I wasn't supposed to do <laughs> you know, that, um, but that does seem like the big the biggest mistake here. And all the other I mean everything else is not I wouldn't say there are any other big mistakes in the angel. What do you think,
3: folks? Yep, totally agree.
1: how close to the bubble, would you say we should be before we are folding mm. King Queen mm. from Good early question. position?
0: Good question. A given this, given the same stacks? Like, given the same yep, stacks? Yeah, as rises, a
1: medium stack. Like, we should be so tight as a medium stack when we're really close to the bubble.
0: If there are still four players that are short and we're two from the bubble, then I'm going to start tightening right up. Uh, King-Queen off is still a pretty strong hand, but if there's players behind me that cover me and they're showing any aggression at all,
3: maybe that's where I start to really just kind of let icm take take over at this buy-in level um i'm probably not changing too much um but you put me in a bigger buy-in with players that will know that they should put on a lot of pressure Mm. uh, to my medium stack essentially the big stacks it's essentially me like downgrading the big stacks ability to apply pressure to me uh in you know a daily 150 buy-in at a local casino um In that case i'm probably not changing that uh if this is you know a bigger wsop event or you know something big going on uh and we're in this spot you know two away from the money i'm probably just gonna get rid of the king queen because it's like what what really good can come from king queen here (laughs) like is there really anything that good um so i'll probably just stay away from there make the money and then go back to playing normal
2: yeah you might be able to play play queen yeah, I know, from early position, I think you don't want to play king-queen at all. But I think as you get, you know, cut off button, you may want to play king-queen and steal the blind type situation. But from early position, yeah, you really want to tighten up.
3: Yeah, and again, like for people that are listening and don't, like we're talking like in all these situations that there's as if there's a big stack behind us yet to act uh it, you know is there someone that can put pressure on because then to rob's point like you know if you're button but the small blind and big blind are short stacks ah okay like give me any two cards uh and i'll play those uh but he put a you know a 50 big blind stack behind me now all of a sudden i'm getting a little bit worried because i do not want to bust in this spot yep good
0: points well, the last, uh, I'll just read, uh, the last post from, um, one of, uh, Ray responses here. There's looking back now, I don't believe I was destined to go bust on his hand as I could have just called turn and see what developed on the river. I'm probably going bust on the river, but at least I'm making him put me all in and not doing it by myself. And that's, that's, that's kind of a, a synopsis of what we, what we've come to as well here on the show. And, um, I want to just point out, you know, Rob's mentioned this idea before, which is taking your hand off the mouse and, you know, of sort of going a little more detailed into your analysis in real time, taking more time to think through this stuff. Even if, you yeah, know, I don't know if Ace Ray off, I don't know if you're a golfer, but um, when I was learning to play golf, my dad would always tell me like, Just think about the one place that you can't put the ball on this hole and then just put it anywhere else. You know, like just think about what's the one catastrophic mistake that you can't make and then just worry about the whole rest of it. And it feels like the one catastrophic mistake you could make here is overvaluing your hand and overplaying it against an opponent that has you covered. And um, it's not like you're never going to go broke here uh if you if you don't shove like i think you're probably gonna bust the sand a lot but as you say you're you're putting them in a you're putting yourself in a better position to do it when you make them put you in and put you all in and uh, don't let them play perfectly uh, again against your action
2: another and, thing about about those dailies is that they play really fast Everybody plays pretty fast in these things, and you don't see a lot of tanking. You don't see mm. a lot of people taking their time to think about their decisions. Mm. They're just playing their cards, and everything's just hunky dory. We're having a good time, and it's autopilot. <laughs> and and actually, you get if you do start tanking and you do start thinking, you get people at the table get pissed at you. <laughs> but you can't you can't let that bother you. You've got to take the time that you need to think through the situation to make the best decision you can.
0: Yeah. You owe it to yourself. You, you deserve it. You've earned it. You paid your money to play this tournament, play it the way that makes you feel comfortable and it gives you the best chance at winning and screw all those jerks. Just screw all those jerks. Honestly, Uh, the blinds go pretty fast. Yeah. 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 That's true. That's true. Uh,
4: There's two questions you can always ask. uh, And, on every every action, pretty much, one of them is from Sky. Um, is what is he doing this with? So when we bet and he he raises us, just stop and say what is he raising me with? Yeah. Uh, and then the other one is is a uh, I'm betting. When I shove, I'm shoving to make these hands call and these hands fold. And what hands are those? And does he have those hands? <laughs> and that takes enough time that you have time to calm down and think about it.
0: Yep. I like that. Always having a value target or a bluff target in mind. I do think that, I do think that's really helpful. All right. Last question before we wrap it up, folks. Um, How relevant is the speech play to you? Because without the speech play, we're still talking about the action. Like even without the speech play, the action is kind of leaning us towards this opponent, not having a lot of bluff candidates and mostly just having hands that we beat but that they're overvaluing or hands that have us brushed does the speech play make you feel like they're in one or the other camp like i think some players they're only going to use speech play like that when they're actually very very high in their range uh quite quite high and a hand like nine eight or queen nine might not have that kind of uh of um extra layer to their play so is that a factor for anyone here does that incline you more towards taking a passive action or even releasing the hand on an earlier street someone unmute
3: and be on yeah it, it it feels very value heavy right like i just feel like the amount of times where i've had someone say something in this sort of realm and then show me a bluff is maybe never or maybe a few times, like, it just feels like it's rarely happening where someone's like, uh, this card didn't help you. How many chips do you have? Oh, you've got that many? Hmm. Okay, well, this since this didn't help you, I'm going to raise. It's like, okay, like, you got value. I get it. Um, <laughs> so, I, I don't know. It feels very uh, value heavy. It's the classic, like we talked about, strong is weak, weak is strong.
0: And and note also, even if they're still bluffing occasionally, they're they're not bluffing at a high enough frequency in the long term to make this uh uh to make it uh, equilibrium when it comes to calling uh, or folding. I think they're still going to be under bluffing in spots like this, and that's that's just uh, that's pretty reliable, I think. So you have to decide, like you know, how how balanced you how how important is balance against this opponent how important is balance in this spot. And um, yeah, it, it is, it is a, a lousy spot though. Eric, any parting thoughts before we close this baby up?
4: Oh, just when he talks like that, and he says, oh, I don't think you have it. He's goading you to call. He wants you to yeah. call. It's yeah.
0: Yeah. Yep. That's the way it reads to me too. Well, thank you to Ace Ragoff. Um, this was a really interesting hand. We got a really good conversation out of this. Thank you for posting in the forums. And um, you know, thanks for posting a hand like this where you feel like you made some bad assumptions and misplayed a couple things because we talk about this a lot. You can't really learn as a player if you're only ever sharing the times that you made really good decisions and figured it all out and everything went great and rah rah for you. You really have to kind of share these painful experiences so that we can learn from from our mistakes. And it's great uh that folks like Ace Reg offer generous enough to share there are mistakes with us so that we can learn from these mistakes as well. We don't just have to learn from our own mistakes. So this is what community is all about. Um, so thank you to them. Uh, thank you to everyone who was posting their responses in the forum here and they continue to post in our forums. Um, folks do come and check it out for free. Ref.poker. All it takes is an email address and a smile, though both are compulsory and we do check on them. Uh, but come and uh, dive in, have some fun with us. Um, thanks to Azraig Off. Thanks to... Uh, Kim Kilroy, Eric Anderson, Rob Washam, and Taylor Moss. Thank you to the Taylor. Thank you to the Running Aces uh, Racetrack Casino and Hotel, and to all of you, the listeners and supporters. Thank you so much. You're that. See you again next week. Everybody.